And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Capitol Hill is working through a new health care bill. And today we take a look at this bill, as well as the Obamacare that we currently are under. And we'll interview two guests, both of which are experts in their respective fields. On the phone line with us today is Rachel Bavard. She is the Director of Policy Services for the Heritage Foundation. Rachel, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Thanks for having me. A uh, lot's been going on on Capitol Hill. One subject of great interest to me and probably our listeners is that of uh, the repeal, replace of Obamacare. And yet it, it's so complicated, Rachel, I'm having a hard time getting my arms around it. Uh, maybe um, could you help our listeners, and myself included, understand a little bit what has been going on in Washington. So Congressman Paul Ryan introduced uh, what the GOP is touting as their repeal and replace plan um, last week. And uh, in it, it you know, contains several reforms for the health care market, some repeal of Obamacare. Um, and that bill has gone through two committees in the House. It is poised to go through its last committee before it goes to the House floor. Um, now, if it passes the House floor, then it goes to the Senate for the Senate's consideration. Um, however, the bill has been hung up slightly in the House by concerns, mostly from conservatives, who feel the bill is not sufficiently uh, repealed. It mm-hmm. keeps some of the fundamental Obamacare architecture in place and thus does not constitute full repeal. Um, and they'd like to see the bill go further in that direction, but also to include some different reforms to the healthcare market. So TBD, if it's going to pass the House, <laughs> um, but it's definitely um, on track for full consideration on the floor, probably early next week. Okay, so... I don't get a really good feeling about this Paul Ryan bill. Uh, what are the weak spots in it? Well, for conservatives, uh, like I mentioned, you know, this, for them, this doesn't constitute full repeal. It actually leaves parts of Obamacare in place, and conservatives, for the most part, said, look, you know, we ran and won on full repeal of Obamacare. Right. This is not what that is. Um, but further than that, I think it also does not contain, um, you know, some good market reform policies that Republicans have touted. Now, to be fair to Paul Ryan, he said, look, we're going to try to get to those a little bit later. Um, but I think there's a lot of Republicans and conservatives that are skeptical if we can even get to later, right. if, we can, if we can't pass you know, a full repeal effort. Now, isn't there a process that has to be, well, there's always a process in Washington, but eventually we want to get to tax reform, uh, 2018 budget, but we kind of have to do first things first. Can you describe that? Yeah, Republicans have really sort of set their entire agenda up to follow Obamacare repeal, and that was, one, by design, but also just sort of as a function of how the process works. Um, They have to pass Obamacare repeal first because they've built it into something called a budget reconciliation measure. Mm -hmm. And until they get that bill passed, they literally cannot move on to, like what you mentioned, tax reform, um, you know, any of these infrastructure priorities or anything like that, because all of that is based on this reconciliation package passing. Yeah. So they're really sort of hamstrung until they are able to move forward one way or the other. So if you had to guess today, what's your guess, best guess? Will this Ryan-type bill pass? Well, as of today, it does not have the votes to pass. Um, and more than that, even if it did pass the House, it certainly doesn't have the votes in the Senate. It's an yeah. entirely different ballgame in the Senate. So. I think you're going to have to see some major changes to the bill um, for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, ironically enough, um, 
President Trump has been a little bit more open to negotiating with conservatives than the House leadership has. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll see, you know, what direction that takes them in. But I would expect to see some pretty big changes to the bill if it's going to pass. Yeah. You know, I have a concern. Um, we're talking with uh, Rachel Bavard of the Heritage Foundation. I have a concern that um, the old analogy of the, of the camel getting his nose under the tent and then the whole thing <laughs> collapsing. Right. Um, with Obamacare, some people have gotten used to whatever benefit flowed from that, and they may have a genuine fear of either touching it or repealing it or tweaking it. Can you speak to that segment? Maybe some of them are seniors, and they're just worried to death that you're going to take away my, my health care. Can you address that? Yeah, I think Republicans, and you know, they may not have done the best messaging on this, but I think they, you know, they want to offer people um, better care at more accessible and affordable, um, you know, means. I don't think they're interested in to going. They're not interested in going back to the marketplace before Obamacare's passed because I don't think anyone thinks that was a great marketplace either. They really do want to make key market reforms that will allow you know seniors to access cheaper care, that will allow individuals to be incentivized to purchase care without having a government mandate to do it. Mm-hmm. And these are sort of reflective of the free market reforms that that they've been pushing for a long time. You know, purchasing cross state lines allowing associated health plans to, to group up together and purchase plans, um, more HSA uh, utilization as, as a pre-tax benefit, and also just, you know, changing how health care is treated in the tax code would make a big difference. So, you know, I think it's a, people always have a legitimate fear of change. Yeah. I think that's particularly true when it comes to health care, but I think it's, it's um, generally acknowledged in the Republican conference that transition period will be necessary mm-hmm. and that there's a desire to do better yeah. than Obamacare. I mean, Obamacare... We're in a situation where, you know, for for families, premiums have gone up 140 percent. You know, 1.7 million people lost their health care under Obamacare last year. I mean, it's it's an unsustainable course we're on. So I think Republicans really do want to fix the marketplace and do better than Obamacare. So the costs have gone up astronomically, and people are losing their health care. That's not a very good story. No, it's not. And I think that hasn't, you know, really been acknowledged either by the mainstream media or by the left in the sense that Obamacare, you know, if Republicans do nothing, Obamacare will implode on itself. I mean, that's the, that's the mm-hmm. policy reality. That's the factual reality. So, you know, it's incumbent upon Republicans um, as the majority party in the country to sort of step up and, and manage this issue. So, again, the nose of the camel is kind of under the tent. So probably they're feeling like, oh, we can't, we can't do perfection. Like, to me, perfection would be repeal this thing, be done with it. And, I mean, didn't they have some kind of a repeal effort back in 2015 that passed both houses? Yes, and that's a very, very good point. And I think conservatives have really pointed to that in this in this debate over the Ryan bill. They said, look, we did better than this with repeal. We did yeah. better in 2015, and that bill passed the House and passed the Senate with the votes of most Republicans that are serving in Congress right now. Yeah. So why we can't go back and take that bill up is sort of a, an unknown question. <laughs> a lot of conservatives are scratching their head about that. Yeah. What about Rand Paul? Didn't he have some kind of a plan, and how does that compare to this Ryan plan? Yeah, so he he does have a, a repeal and a replace plan. Um, and actually, at this point in time, he's, he's saying, and you know, he's joining a course of several other conservative senators that are all saying, look, let's go back to the 2015 bill that we passed, pass it again, and then we have this replace plan that should be considered. Yeah. You know, repeal first, and then when re- once repeal is done, then we can start rebuilding the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Before Obamacare was passed, 
we all recall someone telling us, well, just just pass it and then you can understand it later, which which is <laughs> insanity. Um, but wasn't their health care already there? I mean, how did it really improve the lot for people? So this is an interesting question because there's been all this discussion of how Obamacare covered, you know, all these additional people. And in, in reality, Ob- Obamacare itself only covered about 10 million extra people on the exchanges. Only about 10, 10 million people received coverage. If you recall, in, in for the original CBO score of, the, of, of Obamacare, CBO said by 2016, 20 million people will be getting coverage on the Obamacare exchanges. Well, obviously, they were you know, only off by about 10 million people. <laughs> what people are referring to when they talk about coverage was actually through Medicaid. And that's obviously an existing government health care program right at the state level, which was initially put in place to help disabled people, the elderly, you know, single pregnant mothers. Um, that program was expanded to cover these additional people, but the program wasn't designed for that, and it's not good care. No. So, you know, I would argue that, you know, for people who are saying Obamacare, well, covered all these people, well, it did, but, but it didn't give them the kind of quality care that people should expect. No. You know, that the free market can provide. So, you know, I would say, again, Republicans want to do better and want to offer better coverage than what Obamacare Yeah, offers. yeah. Another thing is just the sheer numbers. If I look at the population of the United States, before we got on the phone today, I just looked it up quick. It's about 326 million people here in the United States, somewhere around there. And if you're saying like 10 million people got coverage under Obamacare, and now the Republicans are worried about, you know, people whining and taking on and all of that, legitimately so perhaps, um, you know, that's like 3% of the population. And it doesn't seem fair to the other 97% of the people to drag them through um, a disaster of a policy in order to support the 3%. No, I think that's right. You know, we want a, a marketplace that offers accessible and affordable care, but a variety of options for people to choose or not choose. You know, Obamacare essentially made the decision for the majority of the country and said, you're going to have these two options and you're going to have to pay this much and you have, and by the way, you have to buy it. Yeah. Um, you know, I think Republicans want to take a separate approach and one that values, you know, the variety of plans that are offered in the marketplace make significant reforms to lower the cost for people, mm-hmm. but also, you know, preserves people's choice yeah. to purchase care, what kind of care they want to purchase, or if they want to purchase it at all. Yeah. I, I know that we never get uh, perfection, especially in this world, and uh, sometimes, quite often, there's got to be compromise. Um, with this Ryan plan, if it if it keeps going, uh, does that allow purchasing across state lines? So the Ryan plan does not address that. Hmm. Um, I think that's one of the things that Paul Ryan has said he wants to address in stage three. <laughs> okay. Um, but again, I think it's, you know, there's a concern that we're not even going to get to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, Republicans have acknowledged that, you know, repeal might happen in a separate vehicle than some other replaced. That's just the way, you know, the legislative process works. But we need to repeal first and then address some of those issues. We mm-hmm. can't, you know, half repeal, half repair, half replace. <laughs> we need yeah. to do these things in full measure. I, I just feel terrible, really, that health care has uh, been taken over by government. You know, the other day I had to go into the emergency room, and uh, it was diverticulitis, you know. So I'm in there in the middle of the night. I'm in terrible pain. And and I really appreciate it. It was wonderful care, good, great people. Um, but when I looked at the bill uh, afterwards that got charged to my insurance, uh, and I realized, okay, I was in there a couple hours. They, it was IV, and they did a scan and gave me some pills. All right, so, you know, what they billed insurance was like $5,500 for that little two-hour stint. And I'm thinking, 
something's broken here. Um, have you been hearing stories like that where the, the costs of, of care is just astronomical? Yeah, and I think that was the case before Obamacare, during Obamacare, you know, and now. And I yeah. think it's, this is not a simple solution. And, you know, I think Obamacare was complicated in its own right, but it, it failed to address some of the key cost drivers of health care. Right, right. And the other day I was talking with a doctor and, uh, you know, he he did express some frustration that the amount of paperwork and, and all this stuff, sometimes uh, some of the few of the doctors just offer, of, hey, show up here. I'm going to charge you cash, you know, 60 bucks for a visit, and that's it. We're done. And uh, everybody everybody benefits from that. That's right. And I think, it's, you know, it's naive to assume that just by throwing subsidies at people, you can address the cost of health care. It's yeah. going to take, you know, significant um, reforms to the marketplace. And that's what Republicans are talking about. Um, and I think that's what they want to do. Uh, it, it's just a matter of if they have the political will to do it. Yeah, one last question. I, I know you're tight on time, but um, one last question. If um, if you had your druthers and, and you were to propose a solution for the mess on the ground right now, what is the Rachel Bavard solution? <laughs> well, I think we have to repeal Obamacare first. Obamacare is a proven policy failure. Um, you know, the law has not done what it says it was going to do. I think we need to get it out first. And mm-hmm. then I think we need to start the process of rebuilding, you know, and I think politically that's a strategic way to do it as well because, you know, right now, as long as Obamacare is still in place, the de- Democrats are going to defend it to the death. I think well, sure. you, you repeal it and then you try to work with Democrats and say, look, the law is gone now. We need to fix the marketplace in a bipartisan consensus manner. Let's start talking reform. Yeah, and if they do it soon enough and really get serious about this and start putting a solution in place, then maybe they don't have so much to fear come the next election because they've got a solution. Exactly. You want to drive that bipartisan support using any leverage possible. Yeah, really. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Rachel Bavard, uh, Director of Policy Services for the Heritage Foundation. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Our next guest will take a look at healthcare from an economic and data analysis perspective. Joining us now is Drew Goncharowski. He's with the Heritage Center, and he's a policy analyst in the Center for Data Analysis. Drew, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. You know, early in the program, we were talking with Rachel Bavard, and she gave us some insights into the Paul Ryan health care bill and also uh, highlighted a few of the problems with the current Obamacare. You're an expert in working with data and databases, economic analysis, all that stuff. Now, there was just a Congressional Budget Office score, I guess you call it, that came out on the um, what we're calling the Paul Ryan Bill or the American Health Care Act that's uh, addressing this whole milieu. And I'm wondering if you can start by explaining what that was all about. Right. So, so the Congressional Budget Office is, is effectively the, the scorekeeper uh, for Congress. And uh, they, they more or less on anything that's going to become law, uh, within reason, they'll, they'll provide a score. So they'll say, you know, how much the cost will be and how much the benefits they expect the law to bring. And, and so they did, they did one of these analysis on uh, the American Health Care Act and it's it's already apparent that it has created some issues for the Republicans. I mean, the CBO found or is projecting that by 2026 you're going to have uh, enrollment hits or enrollment losses of of about 24 million. Uh, but it's not all bad news. Even 
taking the the CBO score at, at face value as it as it's projecting that we get you know almost 340 billion in savings to the to the U.S. budget, and premiums will come down. Uh, they're projecting by yeah about 10 percent. Okay, so um, when you say the American Health Care Act, that's the so-called Paul Ryan bill. Yeah, so so the the okay. Ryan Care or uh, whatever sort of uh, name you want to call it at this point, <laughs> but, it, but it's the it's the piece of legislation coming out of the uh, out of the House currently. Yeah, um, I didn't ask you this before, but I'm wondering. We've had this Obamacare now for some time. If you were to distill, what 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 on earth is Obamacare? What has it forced us to do during this time period? How would you describe it? So, so Obamacare does two large things in particular. Uh, the the first the first thing that it does has to do with the individual market for insurance. So, uh, people shopping outside of if they perhaps not can't get insurance to their employer, or maybe they work for a, a smaller employer that doesn't offer insurance. They're they're in this market segment where. You know they're shopping on their own for health care. Uh, the ACA comes in and says, "Well, we're going to heavily subsidize these people, uh, but we're also going to attach a bunch of uh, price increasing or premium increasing rules on this market, including what things you've heard of: the essential health benefits, actuarial value regulations, all all this myriad of more or less regulations that only serve to increase the the price of health care. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second part. Uh, which has led to more or less the majority of the actual coverage numbers under the ACA is the Medicaid expansion. Uh, so, so the ACA takes eligibility levels for able-bodied adults under Medicaid and extends those to 138% of the federal poverty level. Uh, this is a massive uh, increase in that entitlement or in the in the size of Medicaid, and, and it ultimately led to, you know, Right around 15 million extra people covered under Medicaid. So you're you're talking now. This is what happened under Obamacare. Yes, this is what happened yeah. under under Obamacare. So you got this heavy subsidizing in, in the individual market. Uh, you got uh, a severe Medicaid expansion. Now, when we were talking with Rachel, she said that if Republicans do nothing, Obamacare will implode on itself. What's your view? Right. So, so the issue with the ACA now, or with Obamacare now, is that uh, premiums have been steadily increasing for uh, pretty much since it's in, since it became law, and we're we're noticing now that uh, insurers aren't profitable in the market. And when this starts happening, you start losing uh, insurer participation. You you start making it so people are are sitting. You know, shopping for insurance with only maybe one choice of of a of a carrier, or or in some right. cases zero choices. I mean, we had a, a scare in Arizona uh, last year where there were going to be no choices, but I believe Blue Cross kind of stepped in, sort of in the last minute, and so they so in a lot of areas they only have one choice. Yeah, I think she also was mentioning that there was only really only about ten million extra people were covered via the exchanges. Um, and yet this uh, big expansion of Medicaid, now that's different than being covered by the exchanges? Yes. So, so uh, the exchanges are, are for people that, that aren't eligible for Medicaid up to, uh, it can be for anyone, but the, the actual subsidies extend to people that are up to 400% of the federal poverty level. Mm-hmm. 
So um, I, I take it it's not a good thing um, to expand Medicaid, and also the quality of health care under Medicaid is not that good from what I'm hearing. Right. So, so a good portion of the academic research on the benefits from Medicaid, and, and there isn't a whole lot, uh, but, but we, what we really do know is that uh, there are sort of marginal health benefits, but, but it does really sort of act like uh, catastrophic coverage when it boils down to it. Right. And, and this, is, this is talking about, you know, a coverage that per person for the expansion population costs over $6,000 a year. Hmm. And, and this is, you know, that is for, for something that doesn't really provide any real benefit other than, you know, sort of unexpected income shock protection. Sure. Uh, you would expect it to, it to not be nearly that expensive. Yeah. Let me ask you this. I was just checking the median age in America, and that's, in other words, in terms of age distribution, half the population is older, half the population is younger, and that number is somewhere around 37.8, I believe, or thereabouts. Um, But let's say you're a younger person. Uh, Maybe you're in your 20s or whatever. Has Obamacare been a wonderful blessing to you? No, not particularly. Uh, for, For the younger population, uh, the ACA has actually increased premiums and costs for them more than more than any of the other segments of the population. Okay, and and this is sort of the idea that there's a, there's a few things in the in Obamacare that do this. Uh, one of them is the age band compression. So the idea that an insurer can charge a certain difference between their their sort of least healthy and healthiest person in their plan, it sort of naturally occurs that that someone you know, around around 60 years old, spends about five times as much uh, when it comes to uh, consuming health care or, or getting, you know, treatment as someone that's younger and healthier. Uh, so they're spending about five times as much. Sure. The ACA regulated this to uh, you can only charge three times as much. Ah. Uh, so obviously that creates a situation where the younger population, you know, you're, you're, you're effectively redistributing the risk. Uh, to the younger population, so their premiums come up. Mm-hmm. So what do some young people do? do? Do you find cases where they say, oh, forget it, I'd rather pay the penalty? Yeah, and I mean, that's that's ultimately what we're seeing now, is that uh, the younger population, uh, and, and I think this plays into a lot of why uh, you're just not getting the, the enrollment numbers in Obamacare and the exchanges that they expected, uh, a lot of the younger population kind of looks at it and says, you know, I'd rather just pay the penalty. This isn't a good deal for yeah. me. That's basically a fine for not going along with the so-called Affordable Care Act. Right. Um, it's like it's a lousy law to have to obey. And uh, I guess I guess you have the option. I, I don't know if it's disobeying the law, but it's, it's certainly a penalty. Going forward, and I asked this to Rachel also, you know the money side of this. You've studied... Uh, public choice, public finance. You calculate how policy changes affect individuals and families as well as the economy. If you were in Congress right now and you had a say, what would you be advocating for? I mean, ultimately, if, if we're going to uh, be interested in repealing this law and, you know, making, making a real effort of reforming health care, we have to at least start with being honest about actually revealing the law. On, on the Medicaid side, especially for uh, the Republicans, it seems as though we've sort of lost this vision. The, the, the bill currently 
in the House sort of puts a stay on Medicaid expansion. Uh, it stays in effect for the next three years, uh, and then they expect it to sort of, you know, the expansion is slowly repealed uh, through the idea of attrition, so people falling off of the rolls over time. But but we don't really ever get this, you know, true, you know, we're getting rid of the expansion, you know, we're right. bringing Medicaid back to a program that's truly for the the most needy and vulnerable. So that would be the first step for me, at least, would be to, you know, actually address the Medicaid expansion in a meaningful way. Yeah. And, and and I think that this, this plan does do some good. It, you know, the uh, the per capita cap is, is, a, is a big deal. I mean, it's one of the first times that the Medicaid program as a whole would be on some sort of budget. Whether or not they would actually stick to it in the future is mm-hmm. uh, to be seen. But, but, I mean, on the whole, that's actually one of the one of the better portions of, of the piece of legislation. Mm-hmm. On the sort of health credit side, I, I would try to be a little more reasonable or uh, think about, you know, the sort of populations you're affecting if you're actually going to do a health credit, just because it, it seems like uh, this house plan really hurts, uh, you know, your older, less healthy population in lieu of, you know, helping or sort of providing more benefit for your a younger, wealthier population. Mm-hmm. Um, if people would like to read more and maybe look at some of your studies, are there any references that they could go to and look up? Right, so they so they can uh, uh, look up on uh, heritage.org. Uh, if you search for my name, Drew Goncharowski, it shows up there. I think you can just Google me as well. Uh, those are probably the easiest ways to see yeah. uh, what, I, what I've written. Yeah. And, and one last question, do you ever, um, I think you do, do you ever work with members of Congress and try to inform them as to what the facts are, uh, financial facts? Right, so, so a lot of our work here in the, the Center for Data Analysis is, is specifically that. We're, we're trying to educate uh, Congress and, and members of Congress on uh, what real effects could be and, and also sort of like, you know, the idea on especially the Congressional Budget Office on where they might get things wrong or, mm-hmm. or might get things right. And what are some of the databases that you pull from that become part of your big, complicated database? Right. So, so we use a lot of publicly available data. We use the, the current population survey, data from Bureau of Labor Statistics. A lot of the work that I do works off of MEPS, which is Medical Expenditure Panel Survey, uh, and some of the, the more... Uh, well-known surveys on insurer coverage, mm-hmm. uh, either from Kaiser or, or from the government as well. Yeah, well, it's very interesting. Today we've been talking with Drew Gonchorowski, and he's a policy analyst in the Center for Data Analysis at the Heritage Foundation. And, Drew, I want to thank you very much for taking your time and joining our listeners today. Yeah, thanks for having me. And, dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.